Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, Trade and US Economics Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bowne, a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. This week, we're going to talk about the link between trade and information. So who knows what, where and when. The link between the two helps to explain a puzzle that economists face, which is that their models tend to predict much more trade than there actually is. If you look at the real world, it looks like there are opportunities for people to do better for themselves, to make profits, to exchange. But for some reason, they just don't take advantage of these opportunities. Now, some of that is because of tariffs, red tape, transport costs, but but some of it could be because there's a lack of information. What if people just don't know what is going on in foreign markets? Hard evidence on this is really hard to find. But Claudia Steinwender has some, and we're going to be talking with her today on this episode of Trade Talks. Claudia is an assistant professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, the MIT Management Sloan School. She's a trade economist and also an economic historian. And she has some really cool research she's going to share with us, including a freshly published article in the American Economic Review. Claudia, hello. Hello. First of all, Claudia, can you explain a bit more about this puzzle within economics, this missing trade? What does that mean in the real world? So we know that trade falls with distance. So um, that means countries tend to trade much more with neighboring countries than with countries very far away. Really, the world is very far from being flat, contrary to popular belief. What is less clear, though, is why this is the case. So we today we have um, tariffs which are very low. This might change in the future, but they are pretty low compared to, to, to historical standards. Also, transport costs are very low. And still, we, we, we see the world is not really being flat. So some economists have tried to understand what are these remaining trade costs? What are these indirect barriers to trade? And um, information frictions has been proposed to be one of them, but we really don't understand very much uh, of that. And when you say information frictions, that's the fact that people just don't know what's going on in a different place. Exactly. So think of uh, you being an exporter, you maybe want to be exporting to a foreign country, but you don't know the consumers there, you don't know the taste of the consumers, you don't know how to access that country, and so you might not export. And the same uh, goes for the consumers who, who might want to be importing from a foreign country, but don't just know um, what kind of goods are there, might I like these goods and these sort of things. So the concern is if there's a lot of this trade that's missing, well, if it gets found, that's beneficial for exporters, for consumers, that can make the pie bigger for everybody. So how have you looked at this question of whether a lack of information has actually been holding trade back? So I've uh, looked back in history in order to find an answer. Um, because I think there's still a lot that can be learned from history. And I like going back to where things really started. I looked back in history into the 19th century, which is uh, when the uh, telegraph network got invented and when for the first time in history, information was able to travel faster than physical goods. I looked at the transatlantic telegraph connection between the US and the UK, and I looked at that in the context of cotton trade. Um, cotton trade was a, the most important industry in the 19th century. It's really hard to overstate its importance. For example, um, half of the U.S. exports was actually in raw cotton at that time, and a third of British imports was in cotton. Okay, so can you set the scene? How did the cotton industry work before the introduction of the telegraph? 
Uh, raw cotton was produced in the United States and there were merchants in New York that had to ship the cotton to Liverpool, where the cotton textile industry was located. So imagine we are in New York, there's an organized uh, exchange and say you're a merchant in New York. Every day, there's lots of raw cotton coming in from the fields. Farmers ship the cotton to the exchange in New York. And um, you as a merchant now have to uh, think about how much cotton to export to the UK and how much uh, price to pay for it. Well, it takes a lot of time to then ship the cotton over to the UK. So you need to make an estimate, a forecast about how much cotton will be demanded in Liverpool. Ideally, you want the price of cotton to be high when, you, when the cotton arrives in Liverpool, because then demand is high and you really can make profits. But you don't really don't know much about Liverpool. In fact, the most recent information that you have about Liverpool is about two weeks old, because this is how much time it takes a steamship to bring information from Liverpool to New York. In the case of the cotton industry, I found that the price difference was actually equivalent to 16% of the New York price, so really large. And this really means that, say, for example, the price in Liverpool was much higher than the price in New York. This means that there is arbitrage opportunities that are left on the table. There's not enough trade. So tell us more about this telegraph invention and how it affected the cotton trade at a practical level. So the telegraph was invented in the 1830s and 1840s, and this really meant that for the first time in history, information could travel faster than physical goods. So you didn't have to wait for a letter anymore, but you could actually exchange information over a cable by transmitting electrical signals over a wire. And so um, these uh, messages were usually very short, but they could be transported very, very quickly between very distant places. So this really reduced communication time by a lot. Um, and almost uh, real-time communication was possible. And initially, this, these telegraph signals were primarily just sent between two land locations. That's right. So the overland telegraph cables were developed first because that was uh, just easier. Later on, people started to lay cables into the ocean and submarine telegraphy started to develop. And this meant that now countries on different continents were able to communicate with each other. So the telegraph massively speeds up communication between cotton traders either side of the Atlantic. What effect would you have expected this to have on trade in cotton? Information frictions are something like a trade cost. And if you reduce information frictions, then you would increase the trade volume. So you would expect to see more trade across the Atlantic. So more cotton exports from the US to the UK. Why is that? Now that they have the telegraph, there is really um, less uncertainty about um, how big the demand in Liverpool would be. And the traders before were kind of unwilling to take on that risk of exporting because there was so much uncertainty about demand. Um, so after the telegraph was put in place, this really reduces the uncertainty and you would expect to see um, exports to go up. Okay, so presumably what you're going to do is to compare trade before and after these telegraph lines were installed. But Say you find that there were lots of new lines and also trade increased. Wouldn't you worry that they just installed the telegraph lines in anticipation of a strong performance in trade? And it would make a lot of sense for people to invest into telegraph cables when they expect trade to be growing. But the technology at that time was actually really difficult. And it's probably very hard to imagine that from the point of view of today's world, where we still have lots of underwater cables. In fact, almost all of our internet traffic is going through cables uh, on the seafloor. But this was really when the technology developed, and it was really, really difficult to lay these cables. 
In fact, for example, this, the transatlantic telegraph connection, this was the first connection where uh, such a big distance underneath the seafloor was covered. And it took them a long time to figure it out. So it took them five attempts over the course of almost 10 years to lay that cable. And they never knew whether it would be working at all. One problem is that if a cable is too long, the, the strength of the signal falls and you might not be able to understand anything at the other end of the Atlantic. And then they also had to figure out insulation because the electric signal gets lost into the sea and into the water. So they really had a hard time of, of laying this cable. And in those times, they were also relatively uh, superstitious. I have read records of how they were trying to lay this cable across the Atlantic, and they were really puzzled because the cable kept breaking and the connection kept breaking down, and they didn't know what was going on. And they really thought there were maybe some sea creatures uh, underneath the ocean that were destroying the cable, and they didn't want to upset these sea creatures. You really have to think about how uh, different the world was in the 19th century than it is from um, today. So sea creatures like the Loch Ness Monster or sharks that maybe were biting these cables, were there other interesting stories that you learned by reading about this time period in history? They had no idea whether such an undertaking could ever work. And in fact, I have a huge admiration for these entrepreneurs that really didn't give up and that really tried to raise the capital again and again because the cable was very, very expensive. And often the cable snapped and the ants got lost into the sea. And that was it. And they had to go back and raise more capital, try to find uh, people uh, crazy enough to believe in this sort of undertaking and finance the cable again. So it came as a big surprise when it actually worked on the 28th of July in 1866. So there was just tremendous uncertainty about whether this undersea cable going from Britain to America was ever going to work or not. And there's a lot of uncertainty about the timing of when it was actually going to work. And I think it's clear that the actual timing had nothing to do with the trade volumes of cotton that were happening during that period of time. Okay, so what did you find? Did the laying of the telegraph cable actually affect trade in cotton? Immediately, you could see that the price differences reacted. The price differences fell immediately. It fell by... 35%. And what is interesting is that the variance of the price difference fell even more dramatically by 93%. So if you take all this together, the reduction of the price distortions is actually equivalent to abolishing a tariff of about 7%, so quite a large magnitude. So essentially, this telegraph meant that traders had more information and it looks like that had a real effect on trade. Interestingly, it not only increased exports of cotton on average, but it also increased the volatility of cotton exports by even much more than average trade flows. What I see is that after the telegraph, exports really become more volatile. And uh, you might wonder why should that be the case, because um, less uncertainty would probably mean a more stable environment for these merchants. Better information really helps merchants to understand uh, what the future demand in Liverpool will be. And so it allows them to react to demand and to change their export volume to actual demand situations. So this is really what happened. Exports became more volatile because you see exports when it was demanded most and no exports when there was no demand. So this is a really important point because normally we associate volatility with something bad, uncertainty things like that. But here, the more fluctuations mean that these export shipments are actually matching up demand and supply. So the volatility is actually a good thing. Okay. Now, you don't claim to be the only one to have ever looked at this particular episode in history in the impact of the telegraph on cotton. So could you briefly talk about what other researchers have found and what questions they've looked at? 
So this paper is really about the immediate effects of the telegraph. The telegraph gets established and I look at basically how trade changes from one day to the next. But on the long run, other things might change. People have argued that the telegraph made it easier to redirect ships across the globe and use shipping capacity more efficient, which reduces um, shipping costs and then as a kind of more indirect effect also would increase trade flows. There existed lots of tramp shipping at those times, so ships were not necessarily at fixed routes, but they were instead going up and down the coast, trying to get their capacity filled, and then they would take off to one or more destination markets. But they never knew where to go next, but the telegraph helped them to understand where is the demand for shipping, so the ships could fill up their capacity more quickly and thereby reduce um, their cost because capacity was utilized much more. The other thing that is happening on the more long run is that we see the development of futures trading in cotton in both the New York and Liverpool exchange. So a futures market is basically people agreeing to buy and sell cotton at some future date, not today. So futures trading really means that um, you can sell a piece of cotton to merchants in Liverpool and the cotton is not even there. It will arrive in the future. But you can already sell it because you, you know that it exists and it's on transit. Futures markets are really important, again, for merchants because it reduces their risk and makes them more likely to be able to export more goods to Liverpool. So it's, again, an instrument that reduces uncertainty for merchants. And then there's another hypothesis that the telegraph itself also helped to spread ideas between countries and help technological diffusion. And this is what I actually look at in another paper. Okay, so that gives us a chance to talk briefly about another paper that you have. And this is new joint work with Reka Juhas at Columbia University. So in this one, you're looking at cotton trade again, but at each stage of the cotton industry supply chain. So what did you think would be interesting to look at there? Two-thirds of today's trade is in intermediate inputs. And there is the notion that people think that the internet is really responsible for that. So we went back in history again to the 19th century and tried to study the equivalent of this. Already in the 19th century, in the cotton textile industry, there was a lot of trade in intermediate inputs. In the, and these intermediate inputs were cotton yarn. So this is the raw cotton spun into yarn. And then the yarn in the second stage of production gets woven into plain cloth. And finally, the plain cloth gets printed and embroidered and you get a finished cotton cloth, which is the final good. So when you look at the impact of the telegraph on these different stages of production, this trade in yarn, in plain cloth and in finished cloth, what did you find? Were all of the inputs affected equally? So in fact, we found that the earlier stages of production, um, so the trade in yarn, reacted much more strongly to this reduction in uh, information frictions. Communication time reductions had a much stronger impact on trade in yarn compared to trade in the finished cotton cloth. And so were you surprised by this? What did you think was going to happen and, and you know, what's driving these results? Yes, we were in fact a bit surprised because at first we thought that demand will be more volatile for final goods because they are more differentiated products and information should have an even larger effect there than for raw materials. So the case of raw cotton, for example. However, this is really not what we found. Instead, the impact of yarn was larger. And we tried to dive in a little bit into the historical background, and we realized that the reason for this was that yarn was a highly codifiable good. What I mean by that is that yarn was standardized. You could order it very easily by just giving a number which defined the fineness of the yarn. 
However, the telegraph was much harder to use on printed cotton cloth because then you needed to communicate the printed patterns and describe the colors and flowers and whatnot they put on the cloth. And the telegraph could really not be used for that. So we realized that codifiability, which means how easy can you specify your product in words as opposed to seeing product samples, is really what mattered for the use of information communication technology. So that's the short term. What did you find about the long term effects of the telegraph on, on this supply chain? So we find that trade in yarn really increased for the first 10 years or so after the telegraph, but then the effect starts to decline. And a natural explanation for this is that countries first import yarn, but then later they develop their own production capacities to be able to produce this yarn themselves. And this is what we basically looked at next. And we saw that trade in yarn really then stimulated the establishment of spinning mills overseas and really fostered the spread of the technology that was developed in Britain first throughout the globe. So in both these papers, are there caveats that listeners should should have in mind when they're thinking about your results here? So, of course, there are some differences between trade in the 19th century and trade today. One difference is that today we do have much more direct interaction between buyers and sellers, whereas in the 19th century, most of the trade really went through uh, merchant houses. And also today we have more multinational companies. So there's lots of trade within the boundaries of the firm. There is reason to believe that these direct buyer-seller relationships and the multinationals interact with the way how we think about information exchange and affects information exchange. So this is really something that we should study more deeply. In this study, we really started with a very simple uh, supply chain. Just had three products and yarn was transformed into plain cloth. Plain cloth was transformed into the final good, finished cloth. But we have uh, many production chains which are much more complex. We call them uh, sometimes spider production networks. And there is lots of different legs of the spider that are happening simultaneously. So we might think that having information about one or the other leg of the spider might again interact with each other and affect the way how information affects trade. So you've mentioned differences between the 19th century and today, but, but what lessons can we draw from your research for policymakers to understand the real world today? So one thing that we can learn is really that if we have a setting where production or export decisions need to be made in advance, and this is pretty much all the time, exporters and producers have to decide way before they know the final demand for a product on how much to produce and how much to export. So there is a lot of uncertainty in these settings. And what you really can do is uh, two complementary things. One is you can uh, reduce the forecast horizon, so try to reduce the time between the production decision and consumption. And the other thing is to improve the precision of the forecast. So this is really what the Telegraph did in the 19th century for the merchants. Today, we have uh, lots of examples of companies engaging in both of these. Cotton uh, textile retailers like Zara or H&M, they have supply chain management to try to reduce really the time between production and when the goods reaches the consumers. But they also use big data to really try to forecast the demand conditions and improve the precision of their forecasts. So information is really, really important. And so we should think about this as maybe implications for how to think about the benefits of big data today, matching suppliers and demanders out there. Okay, so that's your first paper. How about your second paper? In the second paper, we really learned that the characteristics that matters 
in order to understand the impact of information and communication technology is the codifiability of products. Um, you really want to understand whether you can use the uh, ICT for ordering uh, specific products at a distance. So codifiability matters. This means, um, can you actually describe um, the product in words or in a way that is suitable for the technology? At the same time, we learned that information communication technology can affect the diffusion of technology throughout the world and could do so by learning from importing and at the same time importing uh, capital goods. This is something that people are really interested in. How can firms learn by importing high-tech goods and then be later be able to climb up the value chain and uh, develop it for themselves? So just to play devil's advocate here, I mean, we're talking about the telegraph, which when you think of all the technology we have around now, it just seems like a fairly basic invention. Surely, surely with the internet, we've exhausted all of these information gains. How much more is there really to be found? Yes, sure. The telegraph was used to communicate words, but then later on came the telefax. So you could actually communicate printed patterns in black and white. Afterwards came the color telefax, so you could actually transmit colors. And now we have the internet, so you can describe things in pictures. But I think what people always tell me when I talk to them about my project is um, that there is still lots of frustration when you order stuff through the internet. How often have you ordered something and then it just didn't look right? It didn't, the touch and feel of a certain fabric was not right. What I'm really still waiting for is technologies that transmit the touch and feel of a fabric, for example, or the smell of goods. And this might sound very utopian now, but probably not much more than what the telegraph sounded to people in the early 1800s. When these technologies eventually come, I think we learn that we really have to look at the codifiability of the goods in terms of what characteristics can be transmitted through these technologies in order to understand what will the impact of trade be. So information matters, codifiability matters. We've solved those puzzles. What other puzzles are still out there? We really have only very suggestive evidence in this paper about how uh, information frictions affects the uh, diffusion of technology throughout the world. And there's a lot of notion today that maybe by learning uh, from importing, uh, countries can climb up the value chain and maybe start doing things on their own and start to become more technologically advanced. This is a big topic, for example, for developing countries and how trade helps them to develop. But uh, learning by importing is still a bit of a black box, and we don't understand exactly how learning by importing takes place. In our paper, we suggest that there might be some learning by importing through the interaction with manufacturers, and then you can use this knowledge to set up your own production facilities. But we really need to understand this much better. Great. There's a lot to learn from the Telegraph. And that's all for Trade Talks. A huge, huge thank you to Claudia Steinwender at the MIT Management Sloan School for sharing her research. Including her paper with Reka Juhas at Columbia University. We'll make sure to tweet out links to all of their research. And as usual, tell your friends, any cotton spinners, telegraph operators, or big data crunching geeks you know about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bound. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one, but two underscores at trade underscore underscore talks. Because one telegraph link is good, but two is even better.